Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Venture Brothers. A brand new season of the critically acclaimed animated series The Venture Brothers is almost here. Watch Hank, Dean, Brock, Rusty, and the rest of Team Venture attempt to save their frozen butts from the icy chill of organized villainy. Premieres Sunday, August 5th at midnight on Adult Swim, all in the name of Super Science. Go Team Venture! Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by 90 Day Fiance Before the 90 Days. With an engagement ring in one hand and a passport in the other, seven Americans will try and prove that romance is not dead. It's just 5,000 miles away. After falling in love online, these singles are now flying halfway around the world to meet their potential soulmate for the very first time. Will it be an epic love story or an epic disaster? Find out on the new season of 90 Day Fiancé Before the 90 Days Sunday at 8 p.m. on TLC and streaming on TLC Go. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, frankly, I'm just happy he's here, it's Andy Greenwald! Woo! Magic of Hollywood, baby! Man, you just scooted in right under the wire. Green screen! Uh, Greenwald, today we're going to do about 30 minutes of mailbag. Thank uh-huh. you to our listeners for their lovely questions. Wonderful it was listeners. kind of an impromptu mailbag. And then the second half of the show, I talked with Amanda Dobbins and Sean Fennessy from TheRinger.com, where I also work as an editor. About the Ringer's best TV episodes of the 21st century list. What an achievement. Thank you to everybody who has read, who has uh, listened to the content, the, the podcast stuff that we've done. This is a beautiful, beautiful package. Thanks, Greenwald. I've always thought you had a beautiful package. Um, that's inappropriate. Mm. Uh, mm. Let's get that's fair. <laughs> right into some mailbag questions. Do you want to just tell me how you're doing? Because I like I now Woo! see you exclusively in this setting. Um, things that's are great, true. man. Pre-production. Pre-prod. I've just been casting. Yeah. You know, just wonderful, talented actors walking in, saying words. It's very exciting. But I'm waiting for the call, except I have to tell you, yeah. I like to use the script just as a diving board, you know, and then the pool of my <laughs> thoughts is below. That's fair. Yeah. There's so a lot. it's not fully, like, I like to kind of work from, like, a vague structure, is, but it's a lot of improv. Is there a lot of splashback? Like, <laughs> is, are you doing a cannonball? Are you doing a, a triple Lindy? It's a jackknife. It's kind of just like less least amount of splash possible. No, I, that's like my style. You I, know that. I would say one of the reasons why I'm enjoying the pilot making process is because it really takes me back to the um, uh, final essay writing process from college, mm-hmm. which is that when you sign up for a course in college, you are well aware that the course will end and there will be a final. But it seems super far away. Oh, yeah. And then suddenly it's the night before and you're like, yeah, I'm going to read these 19 books and also write this. And somehow you do it. And now we are. I'm in the middle of like the seventh book. So this is, I wonder what the equivalent of that would be would be for school in Ireland. Where mm. they're like, you literally don't have to come to class. There's no attendance. Like, it's your call. This is not and a metaphor, you show up And your entire grade is based on the final. This is, you actually went briefly to school. Yes, I also experienced some rather poor grades in Ireland. That was not a metaphor. <laughs> it just wasn't, I need a little bit more structure. Uh-huh. Weirdly. On, the, on set, no structure. In school, I need structure. Surprisingly, but so this is, um, I'm happy to be here because pretty soon I will be living um, in Albuquerque during the, for the duration of pre-production and production of making the show. Um, I'll be remote. We'll be doing this podcast. We'll be mm-hmm. having a lot of fun. Um but uh, it's exciting. You're going to get and big, too. I'm going to get super swole. No, I don't mean that. I think you're going to eat a lot of carbs. There's a lot of craft <laughs> services. Also, I think I talked about this already, that new Mexican Mexican food. Yes. It's just, just a potato stuffed in a in an enchilada. Yeah. With, with some, you know, I feel like the spice, the salsas really kind of help you keep the, keep the extra 15 off. I did want to say, since I said on Twitter, just 
I'm using this as my personal sure. platform. Yeah, yeah. I was just really excited that I could finally be public and announce that Anna Lily Amirpour is directing this pilot. I'm psyched about She's this. dope AF. Yeah. Um, she's the director of two pretty wild films, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, um, which if you haven't seen it, please go see it. It is a, let me see if I get all the adjectives right. It is a um, black and white, spaghetti western, uh, feminist vampire movie in Farsi. And also last year's The Bad Batch, in which Jason Momoa is a painter, a father, and a cannibal. Yeah. Um, Cannibalism, not in your top 10 things you like to watch. No, and what's uh, what I talked to Lily a lot about is that um, she is not who I expected uh-huh. uh, from seeing that film, yeah. which I'm grateful for. I'm, I don't want to I hope to be she comes eaten. on the pod. Oh, she would come on the pod. Okay, she's got takes. She, she has she has very strong opinions. Okay, about a lot of things, uh, including your boy's script. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, this has been such an exciting collaboration already, and we're gonna go in the desert and eat a lot of potatoes and get weird. Okay, but before you do that, let's do a mailbag. Mm-hmm. You've got mail. Let's start out. Danny Vitt asks a good question, which I don't think we've actually hit this, mm-hmm. even though it would have been the right time to do it, mm. and I'm glad we didn't because. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I think our list would have changed in the last month. Is can Chris and Andy do their halfway through 2018 top five TV shows? Check Whoa, in. easily. Okay, easily, my guy. Um, I think that you and I have three of the same. Okay, and then I think that there's some there's some some differences between us after that. Uh, I am going to say that um, you and I probably both have Succession, Atlanta, and Killing Eve on. I'm nodding. Did everybody hear me nod? Yeah. I nodded. <laughs> That's accurate. Yeah. And then personally for me, my my four and five would be uh, Collateral, the show that uh, Carrie Mulligan show that was on Netflix earlier in the year. We, we binge watched it together, was, uh, everybody. Four episodes, so it's not exactly a massive uh, amount of episodes or, or whatever. And for me, the fifth would be The Terror, which I didn't really get a chance to talk very much mm-hmm. about. Uh, AMC, and it, I thought it was just like a wonderful, wonderful um unique, deeply intelligent show that was also terrifying and uh, featured some great acting. So those are my five. Succession, Atlanta, Killing Eve, uh, Collateral, and The Terror. Greenwald, do you have, would you say that those three are on your list? One million percent. Okay. I also, um, I loved loved watching Collateral. I loved watching it with all of you. I really enjoyed it. And I also want to say, I apologize this, for, can for I just say really quickly, yeah. you're, you, you, this is impeccable stalling by you. I'm set. <laughs> I'm set now. I used to do this in Irish school, <laughs> whatever you were calling it. Um, I, did, I did want to apologize for my treatment of the terror because people that I respect enormously. Aside from me. No, people that I respect enormously, full stop, including you, uh, loved this and raved about it. And particularly just the the meticulousness with which it was crafted. And I really would like to watch it, but I have not had time. But, you know, I'm going to have some spare time just sleeping off, not sleeping off those carbs in the desert. So I will check it out. Um, I would say my list is is yours. <laughs> Killing Eve, Atlanta, Succession, mm-hmm. Glow. I knew that was coming. And then I don't know where your head is at, my man. Barry. Barry's great. Where you at? I love Barry. Okay. It's not, top five doesn't mean it's not. I think that means you hated everything else. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's I think that's the main takeaway. Here. I wish we only had done the top five episodes of the of the century, and then that would have can just you, been like a 60-word article. Can, can I tell you the other show that I was going to say that you would have quit the podcast over? Sure. Uh, One Day at a Time is really good. Oh, I'm going to quit the podcast over that. That's you, a great show. You, you, I thought you hated heartwarming things. What? 
<laughs> I just, I'm just provoking you. I Chris fucking like, love it. I'm the one who was just like, the constant has to be the number one episode. You were that guy? Yeah. Well, I didn't listen to that conversation yet. Okay. I thought you were fighting that tooth and nail. No way. You I wanted, love it. Yeah, no. I thought you wanted Monday Night Raw and Barefoot Contessa. <laughs> oh, we're going to have we're gonna have words. We're going to have words. I should know. You should talk to Amanda about this directly. This is, I don't want to be her proxy here. I, I love Ina. Um, um, no, th- this is, it's interesting to do this list because um, we have said throughout the first half and first half plus of this year that it's been a pretty slow year for television. That's true. Um, but the, the the titles that we just mentioned are very strong. Um, but I think it was a much deeper pool at this point. Well, last one year. thing I want to do with you when we actually have time to think about it is I talked about this earlier with Sean and Amanda when the, the conversation you're going to hear is that looking at shows in the scope of, of 18 years mm-hmm. uh, made me feel like really stupid forever being like, <laughs> using a year as the only gauge of of an era of of shows right. and how effective it would almost be to do like a two year top 10 or a three year top 10 just of like for for like since we've say started doing the pot at the mm-hmm. brainer you know what i mean what are the best shows since we've been doing this again twice a that week that sounds fun and it i, I cuz i think it would actually be very instructive you know mm-hmm. i think that there are shows that we probably have a lot of affection for that maybe trailed off a little bit in the last couple of years okay and uh, there are some shows that are like late growers you know so i, I think it would be a really really fun thing to and, do down the line and, and you know we Covered Dark at the beginning of this year. It was technically a 2017 show, so it's not in this conversation. But the spirit with which we covered it, I actually was still feeling kind of high off off of 2017. Sure. And I thought there would be a lot more incredible surprises like that. Yeah. And that hasn't been the case this year. And honestly, my estimation of that show has grown a lot. Since, of Dark. Even since we talked about it's it. It's funny, too, because it's just like that was probably the, like, that, that those the holiday season is the darkest I go on media where yeah. I'm like not really checking to make see every single teaser and trailer and mm-hmm. announcement of a release and mm-hmm. I don't know that is that is really like Netflix's saving grace is they can still just throw a curveball and that you never know a German curveball um, alright Dick Whitman who I, I assume this is an alias asks how worried are you that Game of Thrones isn't going to stick the landing in its last season and if it doesn't how will that affect your perception of the show as a whole, and Dick, I actually have an answer for you. Then you go first. Okay. I think that everyone should be prepared for how different this show is going to be this year. Um, So Casey Bloys at the TCAs last weekend said, or last week said, uh, Game of Thrones will likely air in the first half of next year. Mm -hmm. I would imagine it will probably be in and around its traditional spring, late spring uh, air date, if I had to guess. I have no inside information about that, but that just seems logical. And it's, by all accounts, going to be six episodes, and the rumor is, at least, that these episodes could be up to two hours apiece. Yeah. I think you guys should, you guys, like I'm telling you from Game of Thrones Mountain, I think everybody should be prepared for this to feel, like, different. I think it should be, you should be prepare yourself for this to feel more like a miniseries, and a mini, or a miniseries combined with an, uh, a kind of a franchise film yeah. than it's episodic television. And really, the only reason I'm mentioning that is not to be like uh, I, some sort of like know-it-all about it as much as r- thinking back on older Game of Thrones episodes in the last few weeks because of the list that we right. just published forced me to kind of consider things like Reigns of Castamere or Hard Home or uh, any number of Game of Thrones episodes. And it was so wild to think about them not only within the context of a 10-episode season, but in the middle of the mm-hmm. season. So your question about sticking the landing, I have a, a lot of confidence in Benioff and Weiss to do some pretty amazing stuff this season, but mm-hmm. it will be very interesting to see how it's received in these massive chunks of information rather than in the flow of a few months. Yeah, because uh, you're, you're, you make a crucial point. It is not 
it hasn't really felt like TV in a long time. And the way that we've often um, expressed that is by saying, well, everyone watches it. It's a phenomenon. We obviously do an after show and constant content about it. That separated it. But I think your point here is correct that this is not even going to be delivered like a TV show Mm-mm. anymore. It's going to be six movies a year and it's a half six after Super Bowls. we it's a year and a half after we last saw it. Um, what I think deeply is that Benioff and Weiss and HBO's glorious production budget is going to stick the landing as spectacle. Mm -hmm. I think we are going to see things we've never seen before on television. I think we're going to feel uh, outsized emotions like they've never been delivered just by the sheer nature of the project, the amount of time we spend with these characters, watching them grow up, watching them achieve, watching them fail, and probably watching quite a bit of them die. I think, though, the last season did give us a hint of how the landing might feel from a storytelling perspective. Mm-hmm. And look, I, the, the, the hard turn on the wheel towards an ending on a show that, you know, if budget and people's lives weren't in play here, could have run for 10 more years before resolving itself. That hard turn felt jarring, and it felt, um, weirdly, after seven years, it felt rushed. Yeah. Um, and so there is no way to satisfy everyone um, especially considering the line, the final lines seem pretty clearly drawn. Um, I think we're going to have a hell of a good time, and I think we should relish every second of it. Yeah, enjoy it while it's there's there. not going to be another thing like this. Who knows when there will be another thing like this? But it's it, it'll probably be good to check your storytelling expectations early. As a follow up, Max Manujian asks, "What stands out to you as the greatest single scene in any TV show ever?" And I thought Max's question was wow. almost impossible to contemplate. It is, but it says something that the first thing that comes to mind is Red Wedding. Yeah, or um, the the whole the the explosion of the uh, of the sept. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that mm-hmm. scene was self consciously modeled on the end of Godfather. Um, you know, with the christening, the yes. baptism. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm not religious. It's christening. <laughs> sorry, Christians. It's a bris, but yeah, sure. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> it kind of is a bris. It's your people's version of a bris, um, but. You know, intercut with the murders. Like I think of the the epic nature of that, the beautiful marriage of um, score and direction and editing and pacing. Yeah, it's an impossible question to answer. Um, What's really cool about that scene? I went back and watched it because Reigns of Castamere ranks so high on our yeah. our best of list. Um, was it's actually like the the all the um, the scene setting that happens in it is incredible. Mm-hmm. The depth of uh, detail and action that's happening within the scene to build up to the moment where Cat looks at the and Oof. noses his armor I mean, on that. I mean, I'm never going to watch this again. So <laughs> feel free to tell me all about it. Um, all right, let's keep going through these. Uh, but don't did were there any votes for best TV scene of all time for when Alex B. Keaton does speed and digs all the trenches in the backyard? Like for on, as on an episode, ties? or is that a scene? Well, the scene that was in the opening. There was no voting on this. I see. This is just us? <laughs> this is just that. So consider my die cast. Okay. Uh, Jason Lavallo wants to know, whatever happened to How to Watch TV? Mm. And any chance it will surface between seasons of Prior Patch? <laughs> LOL. Jason. Um, hey, guys. Your confidence is amazing. Jason, thanks for the, thanks for the confidence. Thanks for the question. Uh, it's time to go public about this, too. Um, the wonderfully kind people at Echo Press uh, have agreed, and I have agreed to part ways on this particular project. Because I don't have time to write it. Um, my main concern in all of this was um, over-promising and under-delivering. And so, you know, when this other part of my career and what I wanted to be working on took off, I told them every step of the way, and we're all cool. And I really do hope I get to write another book sometime in the future, but uh, I am not writing that book at this time um, 
both because of timing and also, you know, as maybe people have noticed in the coverage and on the podcast, like it's it's been very hard to go back into the mindset of a critic. Mm. I mean, obviously, I'm extremely critical and very opinionated, <laughs> but to watch TV in that way um, is different now. I personally was disappointed that you didn't opt to turn in a manuscript to Echo mm-hmm. that was called How to Watch TV, mm-hmm. but was in fact a Kingsley Amos-esque romp mm. of a young American in school in Ireland for six months. It's a great call. Not studying. Yeah. It's a great call. Do you have interest in partnering on such a project? <laughs> no, I'm saving it for my own memoir. Uh, Luke Hanlon asks, what would Andy Grimwald's pick be for the best episode of television this century? Let's get, just get right to it. Thank you. The Suitcase. Um, so we weren't very far off. No, no. I mean, many of the episodes that I would vote for um, were on that list. Uh, th- um, the Suitcase, Ozymandias from Breaking Bad, certainly. Um, uh, the Friday Night Lights pilot is on there. Mm-hmm. Did I you believe. have a Wire episode that you would put in there? Um, which one is on there? Middle Ground, the Stringer episode. Is that the Stringer episode? That, was that the Pelicanos episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably... Probably the best one. Um, David Simon shows are the hardest ones to pick individual episodes for. Well, this is one of the so, things that I wrote about earlier yeah. in the week was, and, you know, I think I wrote mostly about this idea of moments versus episodes. And some people have said to me, your exact reasoning for moments versus episodes and how sometimes we remember the end of an episode and say, mm-hmm. like, what a great episode. But don't think about maybe 40 minutes of Walt driving back and forth to Jesse back to his house yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. which is not what I'm not talking about Ozymandias. I'm just saying in general, there are some Breaking Bad episodes that that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, people were like, hey, like Reigns of Castamere is a great moment, but Hard Home or Winds of Winter and there are other Break- Game of Thrones episodes that you guys should really should have considered. We, I totally hear that as a complaint. But uh, you could also say seasons versus episodes, and that's where Simon's, I think, comes in. And to some extent, David Milch, mm-hmm. where it's like, as a 10-chapter novella, this mm-hmm. thing is incredible, but there's not m- maybe one episode that jumps out. Yeah, and it actually, it's harder—I mean, you guys just did this, so I don't need to tell you this, but it's actually a lot harder to do that in retrospect. Like, when I was looking at the list, I saw that—I was happy to see there was an episode of Parks and Recreation on there. You chose the finale, um, and my first thought was— to disagree, it's recency bias. Um, also, though, it's pleasing because finales that are that work well. Friday Night Lights is another example of this. It really ties a beautiful bow on something that we were that we cared a lot about. So, um, for that reason, it feels more satisfying than maybe other episodes. But then I was thinking about which one I would choose, and it's incredibly hard. Not only because I haven't watched that show in a long time, but because it smears. Mm-hmm. What I loved about the show was the cumulative effect of the show. That's how TV works. So it becomes harder than you'd expect. In many cases, not all cases, there are some shows that clearly, clearly have a peak. And like in, in terms of Mad Men, like, you know, we did a whole podcast um, on it for the recapables, uh, Sean and Amanda and I. And I, I love the people say, oh, no, it should be the wheel. Oh, no, it should be the other woman. Uh, oh, no, it should be person to person. No, it shouldn't. I mean, I just I mean this. This is this is the person that was writing. This is the person that was writing that book and the person that's now trying to make TV show. It is a towering, astonishing achievement in writing and performance and intent. Um, I can't get over it. And, you know, because I just watched it again and I'm surprised by it every every single time. Um, it's 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 almost overwhelming. Good. That's a good that's a good rallying cry for it. Um, quick aside here. Yeah. Uh, the official Twitter account of Carville Ice Cream wants to know what our favorite flavor of ice cream is. Um, do you think Fudgy the Whale personally writes well, that no, account? Well, no. See, I, now I think that that's really sweet that they did that. Okay. But I'm not going to sell out and only pick a Carvel flavor. Oh, sure. No, yeah, of course I not. I can't be bought. So I'm saying Rocky Road. 
Um, do they make Rocky Road? No, I don't know. I'm saying Rocky Road is objectively my favorite. Like outside of different, <laughs> under no banner, does it doesn't matter. Um, sorry, I, I like just, I can't I can't be bought. I like I like coffee ice creams, like coffee flavored ice creams, disgusting and tea flavored ice creams. You don't like coffee ice cream? What? Have a cup of coffee if you want to. Coffee ice cream is your favorite? No, I'm just na- I was going to name a couple ice creams. That okay, I, like. I mean, to me, when somebody says favorite, you should have like a reaction. You're like, I'm not this a is big my ice, cream ice cream guy. Not a big ice cream guy. You what? I don't. I like. I like salty things. I like, I like potato chips. Zach, are you okay back there? <laughs> I, I'm not like. <laughs> Somebody's like, okay, oh, you, you finish a nice meal. Uh huh. You want a dessert? I'm, and you're I'm, like, you've already lost me. Garcon, bring I, me your finest bag of sour cream and onion chips. Oh, I would love that. Are you serious, man? Are you fucking with me? I don't want. I there, I rarely want. I, I almost never want a dessert. I would just think, as the father of children, oh, the ice cream you. is like half your bloodstream right now. I don't indulge. Ice cream is fucking currency. That's what it is. Yeah. It's not a treat for me. The other day, Andy, I, I said I actually said the words ice cream in front of Andy's barely verbal young child. Oh, do you see her face? And she locked eyes with me like I was Ricky Martin and she was Al Pacino in Heat and she was like, by the time I get to Phoenix. She was like, that's what's up, bro. <laughs> yeah. She looked at you. She looked at you like Kendall. She looked at me like I was the, the Carvel whale. She looked at you like Kendall Roy <laughs> in a room full of people with wolf tattoos. Okay? Like that was for real. And I want you to know her preferred method of eating ice cream, she doesn't need a spoon. She doesn't need hands. She bobs for fucking apples. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she goes face first into the ice cream. So I love the joy it brings everyone else in my life and you, frankly. Yeah. I mean, what do you want me to say? Like sea salt and caramel from McConnell's? That yeah, stuff's that's pretty fine. good. Don't just like, I just don't want you out here sucking on like a Guatemalan bean being like, what delicious ice cream. Like that's just so counter to what ice cream's supposed to be. Listen, the other day it was, it was mad hot here. I took my older daughter for some ice cream. You know what I had? A cone of ice cream and it was great. I good, loved it. Good. I enjoyed it. It's good. What do, you, what, what do you want me to say here? I'm not, you are putting me into a box here where I'm criticizing ice cream. <laughs> I know. Everybody loves ice cream. This is like, I'm the Tommy Laren of ice cream. This is rough. Uh, I'm getting red-pilled here. Alex Jar asks, going along with the Ringer's theme this week, what is the best TV show theme song of the century? Does Succession take the cake? I'm going to go no and say I am very partial to the uh, explosions in the sky ripping off or, oh. or homage in Friday Night Lights. Epic. Yeah. W.G. Snuffy Walden that's in right. the house. Um, that's a great call. I mean, I don't, I haven't given this enough thought to correctly weigh in, but I will say that there are certain shows like 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt and um, Breaking Bad and yes, Succession that you can just tell they took the time to think about it, you know, and to consider um that feeling that a good TV intro can give you of sort of like the on-ramp towards your experience and something that benefits repeat plays, and you can just can't get out of your head. I love when TV shows take that seriously, and far too many do in this era of skip intro. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so, yeah. So I think those are. I think yours is a good call. I'll give it more thought, but just know that we are, much like we are pro ice cream. Did you Chris, like the first season of pro- True Detective song? Um, I didn't like anything about the first. Did season you of True like? Detective. Are you are you down with the uh, woke up this morning, got myself a gun song? Yeah, I mean, th- also that opening, um, the opening was great. The watching him drive, yeah. the driving to Jersey, like it was just it 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 nailed the vibe. So yeah, I was into that. Okay, uh, Matthew Thomas wants us to explain the Baranski thing. I feel like we have to do this once every nine months. Yeah. So um, first of all, Christine Baranski, star of stage and screen, a legend. Um, 
was a star of a TV show called The Good Wife that was on CBS. It was quite acclaimed. And she is even more so the star of a show called The Good Fight, which I think at its best yeah. is even better than The Good Wife. That's incredible. I love those shows. I've, I don't watch either of them. Yeah. And never have. You're just sitting there with a cup of coffee ice cream not watching The Good Wife. <laughs> just a hot cup of coffee ice cream. <laughs> like a jerk. You ever have an affogato <laughs> where it's like a scoop of vanilla Wait. ice cream and they pour hot coffee over it? What? No. Don't look at me like I'm making this up. This oh, is a thing. No, I, I don't know what you're talking you about. You should get that in an Italian restaurant. Next time you're at a trattoria. <laughs> you know what I mean? Put your fucking pasta fork down and see what's up. Um, Something like Spaghetti Warehouse, they got that? <laughs> macaroni Grill, homie. Actually, it's not fancy. You could buy ice cream and pour coffee on it anywhere. You don't need to go to restaurant Moza to get that. I'm just saying, <laughs> you might want to. Um, I'm sorry, what are we talking about? Uh, Christine Bransky. Why oh, is she the patron saint of our podcast? So... Back in the old days when Chris thought of me as, um, you know, fungible and somehow like open to new ideas and suggestions in our friendship because we were younger. It six week long inceptions to get you to come around to things. Uh-huh. So he was basically making the case to me personally. By the way, I was fully employed as a television critic at the time to give the good wife a chance. Yes. And I was like, okay, give me some stats. Give me some heaters. Why Why is it good? And you were like, well, Juliana Margulies, she's really good. And I was like, word. Why? And you were I, like, Michael I J. Fox. I like a Neil Simon Michael character J. Fox, then? he was on the show sometimes. He's pretty good. Archie Punjabi, you know about her. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you were like, Christine Baranski, I mean, she does, it. she does a good job. She does a great job. And I was like, oh, yeah, great, great job, uh-huh. Christine Baranski. And it was just such a preposterous thing to say, considering I've been writing for Christine Baranski since Sybil, okay? <laughs> what you know about her Best Supporting Actress Emmys, Chris? You were in Ireland. You don't even know. You were in Ireland. You did Rocky very, Road. Very little reading. Um, so I started saying it, and... Uh, And and she has taken on kind of a life of her own. Recently, I think she's been confronted with some of the social media phenomenon phenomenon around her. Really? Like she was commenting on whether or not she had big dick energy recently. She's read some praiseworthy, a lot of like tweets that were very praising of her. Mm -hmm. She got very emotional reading them. There was a picture a while back, I think that we saw of her on the six train Mm. in like full Baranski regalia with like an incredible necklace. Yeah. I think we were like, great job, Baranski, about that. Yeah. I I also really am still in love with the fact that when we, between Grantland and The Ringer, and then we we reconnect. We, re- we were not ever. We were never not connected. But we figured out we were going to be able to make this work, and we came up with a new name for the podcast. And I, on a whim, Google image searched the watch Christine Baranski, and she was on the cover of a magazine called Watch. Yes. And I was able to post that on social media, and that that really made. Do you me feel remember good. what were the other names for the pod? Um, Snitch Butlers. Yeah, but like there was other ones. The Watch was the one I liked. I think the Watch might have been mine. Okay, I found it. What is it? This the name of this email I sent you on November fourth, twenty fifteen was for a serious podcast name email. I guess I really wanted you to be serious, and I said no idea is bad except the bad ones. And the first suggestions were Double Down, mm-hmm. Snitch Butlers, mm-hmm. and Land of Wolves. Is <laughs> that mine or yours? And you wrote. Chris, you, by the way, this is total misrepresentation of history. Here's Chris's first ideas, first sweet grapes plucked from his mind tree. The Chris and Andy Show. Bravo. Bravo. We really burned the midnight oil that day. There was nothing left of you after Grantland. The Channel Surf and Around the Dial. No, with no, Chris no. And Andy. This is f- fake fucking news. You're serious? This is for real. This is for real. And then you, this is fair. What about The Watch? With Chris and Andy. And I wrote, well, 
I think it's serviceable. <laughs> that's all. But that's how that's the kind of coach I am. I wanted to draw your best your best plays. You know, yeah. I, I didn't want you to just settle for the first idea. Um, and then there's some we can't say out loud. <laughs> Based on fan fiction, we may have crafted around George Pelicano's heroes. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, let's do one last one here. Okay. Adam D. Smith asks, as the internet's preeminent Renner podcast, yeah. do you think he should be a bigger star after back-to-back Oscar nods? He's been teased with the Bourne and Mission Impossible franchises, become a second-tier Avenger, and dabbled in comedies. What kind of project does he need? Um, I think everything's teed up for him with Tag 2. Mm-hmm. He can finally, you know, get the Oscar and I mean, the box imagine what success. he would have done if he hadn't broken both of his arms it's in a, Tag. It's a great did point. you see Tag? Uh, no. I did. Is it good? The theater. Uh, the theater, I love you. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's, I love com- comedies. I love already comedies. Did you know it's based I, on a true I'm story? I'm a very simple man. I know, you loved Game Night so I like, much. I love when people are swearing in comedies. It just, that's what they do now to get the uh, jokes. Wait, let me, I have a serious answer yeah, for this. Yeah, sure. We love Jeremy Renner. I love him as an actor. I love his design sense, and I love his view of the real estate market. Um, but most of all, I am saddened that I think his career made a wrong turn. Mm-hmm. And the wrong turn was the takeaway from his performance in The Hurt Locker and in The Town um, is that he's a tremendous actor, and he's a volcanic performer in supporting roles. And I don't mean that because he's not handsome or talented enough to be a star, it's because the way Hollywood movies work, the interesting actors rarely get the lead. And so he then went down this path of playing characters where he had to tamp down the thing, the very things that made him interesting and quirky to begin with. So you see him in The Bourne Legacy, one of my favorite movies of the century, for real. Yeah. And he's really good in it. He's really serviceable in it. But it would have been better if he had been on the side, you know, he, it, it's just, it's too straight down the middle for a guy who is that creative and interesting. And I hope that we are headed for um, some sort of reboot where he gets a chance to be his best self again. Because, yeah, he can do this stuff, but it's not a challenge. I lo- he's a great, great personality to have in the world. Uh, I love his dedication mm-hmm. to a certain kind of leather jacket that he, he wears a lot. Uh-huh. And I think that the whole house flipping thing is amazing. I love it. Uh, he's basically Harvey Keitel. And not unlike Harvey Keitel, who over the course of his career had had some career missteps, whether it was getting fired off of Apocalypse Now or uh, I think walking off the set of Eyes Wide Shut, he has made some missteps in his career. Not like tragic ones, because I'm sure he's flipped a lot of houses off that Avengers money. You know what I mean? He's he's like hunting witches and he's he's doing great. But he's got a lot of ability and he's got, he is right in that Harvey Keitel zone where you're exactly right. He needs to be the third person or the second person in a movie. And sometimes I think part of the problem is him carrying the movies. I'm a good guy. Get you out of here. I only wish Hollywood ever gave fourth chances to handsome white male actors in their 40s because, you know, he's just, no, he's going to have plenty of chances, man. He's going to be fine. I can't believe you're rushing me out of here. I do need to go, but you're rushing me out of here before I had a chance not only to critique The Ringer's inclusion of reality shows in this list, thus sullying it, but I really wanted to drag you for your best pilots of the century list. So I just want to say, not in my defense, (laughs) Uh but I adhered to the actual list when making the pilot list. And then by this, one of the reasons why we did this whole thing Uh was so that we didn't just do the same old list. No, I get that. And 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 so I I didn't want to just be like, and then here are... By the way, the constant would be in my top three or four. Sure. I don't think you disagree. It's wonderful that it's number one. I should say that right off the bat. But what's your, so what's your beef with my pilot list? Well, 
yes, The O.C. should be on there and is correctly ranked on that list. It's a tremendous show, but particularly one of the greatest pilots in memory. Um, Friday Night Lights pilot is also absolutely perfect right. and holds up. Um, but I just think there, there, were also, there have been a lot of really good ones sure. recently. Mr. Robot, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Glow. Well, I is actually up there. did not like the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel you, pod, you, pilot. You, you go eat your ice cream. Okay. You know, you know what? But you know what else was an incredible pilot? Yeah, Ozark. Yes, that was a good one. Yeah, I mean, I know I failed. I, I wanted to be. I tried no, to keep it light and fun. And everyone who's listened to this podcast for seven years knows about your deep and abiding love for pushing daisies. That is always what's. That's been what's motivated you. It's what gets you up in the morning. You love stories about bakers in all forms, but particularly twee bakers. It's not Snitch Butlers, it's Tweebix. When am I going to see you again? <laughs> Goodbye. This is it. Monday, Last we're doing pod. a pod on uh, Succession on the finale. We also have an interview on that pod yes. with Succession creator Jesse Armstrong. That we was really love it. cool. The Succession finale is phenomenal. We're so excited to hear, to uh, have so you hear us Monday, talk about it. Monday, and then I think we're off next Thursday. So, deuces. Great job, Bransky's. Come see me in the desert. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Sharp Objects. When a young girl disappears from rural Wind Gap, Missouri, reporter Camille Preaker is sent to investigate whether the case is linked to an unsolved murder. From the author of Gone Girl, the producer of Get Out, and the director of Big Little Lies comes HBO's limited series Sharp Objects, based on the novel by Gillian Flynn. Amy Adams stars as reporter Camille Preaker, whose proximity to the investigation, her chilly mother and mysterious half-sister bring her own scars to the surface. Hailed as a spellbinding, addictive immersion into a dark, small-town mystery by IndieWire and the most captivating show of the summer by time, Sharp Objects also features Patricia Clarkson, Chris Messina, and Eliza Scanlon. See the new episodes every Sunday at 9 and catch up on HBO Now. All right, I'm so happy to be joined right now by The Ringer's own Amanda Dobbins. Hello, Chris. And Sean Fennessy. Hi, Chris. And we're here to talk about the methodology and the reaction and our feelings about The Ringer's best TV episodes of the 21st century list that we put up on Tuesday. And we've gotten some great responses from it. We've gotten some amusing responses from it. The best thing about it is it seems like people have really been thoughtful in the way that they've been taking it. People have been very kind. I really appreciate this. We're going to mostly focus on the exceptions to what I'm about to say here. But <laughs> let me just start right out and say, I want to say on the internet, I've, a lot of people have reached out to me personally. I know that's true of both of you uh, who have said that they really enjoyed it. And even if they didn't agree with anything that we chose, that they liked the kind of final result. And I, if I can speak on behalf of you and everyone, we appreciate that. Thank you. We yeah. worked very hard, and we're proud of it. So to everyone who was kind and read it in the spirit it was meant— well, one of the spirits it was meant to be read, uh, we thank you. Yeah, it's still putting—like, this is something that we worked really hard on, and so it's really nice to see responses that are as thoughtful— as I feel like the people who worked on this list were about making it. And one thing that I really liked about it, Sean, was that I think that the order of the episodes is very important. But overall, I think what it is is an appreciation for a mode of television watching and a mode of television fandom that I think is maybe a little bit getting away from us as a TV-watching society. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think if you look at the way that it was built— and I don't think that we necessarily started at this place, but the way that you experience it now or when you scroll through the list, it has a channel flipping quality. Channel flipping is kind of gone. And that is something that I think we probably all grew up with and enjoyed and stumbling upon something in the middle of it was exciting. Now, 
as things have become, I think we've gotten too curated at this point. We're too in control of our destiny. And so the idea of finding something new is exciting. But I don't know. The feedback is mostly good and mostly predictable. I think for the most part we knew people would be like, Ozymandias is, is too low. Yeah. The fact that you put that at a 10 is wrong. But we also knew we were going to do this big oral history around that episode. So there's kind of a make good there. You know, that's a huge tribute, probably the biggest tribute we had to any single episode in the whole package. So it's it's the good with the bad. Let's talk a little bit about the methodology because I think that that may remain a little bit opaque to some people. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how we came up with this. So, it's actually opaque to me. It's so. opaque to me, but I think that's good. I think it's <laughs> you've, you've just forgotten all the fights. Like the, yeah, you're yeah. not going to bring it with you. Yeah. So okay. we did a vote. Well, so first we had everyone individually yes. submit episodes, and I think we told people they could the only Iowa sum- caucuses. Yes. <laughs> and, and we told, and this is Ringer Staffers, I think we told them that they could only submit five, but also we didn't really enforce that. Mm-hmm. And I know we didn't enforce that because I submitted six, and all six of those were on the list. Shout out to me. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. One of mine was sort of the Catherine Harris of this <laughs> yeah. endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. No, that's not true. I submitted the episode, I counted the VMAs where Kanye interrupted Taylor as an episode of television, and uh-huh. Sean very quickly told me that awards shows were not eligible. It was a very immediate and strong decision. We thought of them like events, and there's a lot of little things we can identify like this. We talked a lot about sporting events, too, as a possibility. Should a Super Bowl or a Super Bowl halftime show be eligible here? Mm -hmm. Should award shows be eligible here? And ultimately, we slash I decided that that would complicate this too much. And the idea of episodic television was really what we wanted to focus on. And so it, it, it did that did narrow the pool just yes. a little bit. Yeah, there was a lot of, I, I mean, in kind of a cool way, there was a lot of, like, backroom dealing. I feel like this is this is a very, like, <laughs> old city machine way right. of, of well, electing so, things. Let's, so let's keep going. So everyone submitted their episodes, and you could, as long as it had aired 2000 or later, it was eligible, at least for the first round of submissions. And then we did tally them, and there was there were immediately some very obvious ones. I think you know, the suitcase, Ozymandias, Pine Barrens, yes. yeah, uh, several episodes of The Office, several episodes right. of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah. There, there, there were the the standout landmarks that we knew we needed to recognize in some fashion, right? And that everyone on staff kind of mm-hmm. agreed on. And then from there, we kind of put those aside, and then there was a list of a lot of different episodes of television that we could choose from, and that that's where the backroom dealing came in. There was that, and then there was also, I think, a, a cr- crucial point, actually, that happened along the, the, the debate about what to include and, and where was this decision to only do one episode per show. So initially, and this is still something that Bill gives us a hard time about uh, even after the publication of it, and he's he's got a point, which is how could you not use multiple episodes of Sopranos, multiple episodes of Breaking Bad, multiple, multiple episodes of Game of Thrones? I have a great answer for that. Hit me. Because then the list would have been episodes of Game of Thrones, episodes yes. of Mad Men, episodes of The Wire, and... Those those are fantastic television shows. I think everyone is agreed on that. But that is a boring list to read. Yeah. It really is. Also, by the way, I've read it 3,000 times right. on the internet it's already. It's not a fun it project. Exists. It's no. not new. It's not interesting. It's also There's not representative. Yeah. It. yeah, and it's not representative of the experience of watching television right. this century. And that's something that we wanted to get at. The, like, the wide ray, array of shows and, and experiences that you could have. Now, maybe not. We, we had little rules like, well, we're not going to do an award show, but there is an episode of The Price is Right. Right. We're not going to do this stuff, but there is, there is an episode of OP. 
Oprah. You know, there's an episode of The Daily Show. Um, and w- that was a really fascinating thing because I think one of the things that was inspiring is when we initially got all the nominations from people was just like, oh, wow, people watch TV differently than I do. Or I watch TV differently than, an in- you know, one of our editorial assistants might. And there was all these different things going on. And we wanted to have a list that felt like watching TV in this century. Yeah, and I think it was important to all of us to identify the generational gaps and also the taste gaps among the inner circle of people that made the decisions, but also the wider staff that made the voting. For example, I know that you guys don't watch cartoons and don't care about Rick and Morty and BoJack Horseman, but a lot of people on our staff do, and those are important shows Mm -hmm. in their own way. And so we wanted to acknowledge that, and if that meant putting them at 63, then so be it. I think that The Price is Right and Jeopardy and Oprah and The Daily Show is to me what makes this. And The Real Housewives and Top Chef and Survivor and all these other shows that we've all put on there. And and Ina, I suppose, Thank Amanda. Thank you. Yes, I was just gesturing for a Barefoot Contessa shout out. Yes. Um, <laughs> that to me was what made the project exciting. Yeah. It's not hard for us to talk about how good The Wire is. Like it's just not. We've been doing it over and over again. And frankly, on the site, we can publish that content until we die and people are going to read it and they're going to like it and they're going to virtue signal about how smart we all are together. But the truth is, is that I, I love Jeopardy and I watch Jeopardy all the time. Yeah. It really, yeah. It just opened up the project also because I do think my experience working on this was like, oh man, I really love TV again. Yes. And when you do, when you work at the ringer or you read the ringer every day, and by the way, thank you for reading the ringer and listening to our podcast, but television conversation can feel the same. It can feel like we're talking about the same types of shows. It can feel like in the moment, it doesn't feel as exciting or varied. We're as really fucking stressed out now. There's yeah. like so much TV <laughs> and it all comes on at once. Yeah, nobody's and, watching it at the like, same time. And yeah. most of it is 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 good if that's what you like. It's it's a great time to be a TV watcher because sure. you find what you like and you go watch it and that's that's great for you and then nobody else cares. So this was really exciting because it, was a different way to talk about television and to talk about a lot of different things that we all liked and enjoyed. And I think the part of the reaction that was so great to me was that, you know, everyone was mad. I'm sure you're mad about something, and that was the point, and we knew you were going to be mad, but everyone was both was mad about something different and also really excited about something different. It spoke to different people in different ways because we do all watch TV differently despite what— the current state of television would tell you. So I, speaking of being mad, yeah. I wanted to ask both of you, yeah. was there a show or maybe more specifically the placement of a show in the ranking that you were like, this has to happen or you'll have my resignation letter by the end of the day? I felt very flexible. I do think that there were maybe not some errors, but maybe some things that we could have massaged a little bit more aggressively. I think... Putting Breaking Bad at 10 and The Sopranos at 8 is probably the thing that I've heard the most about from Mm -hmm. people on social media and family members and just people that I know. (laughs) Um, Because those shows are are, have have such a huge stake of land in people's imaginations and they had such a real relationship to them. And we knew we were do, we were making a choice by putting the OC ahead of Breaking Bad. That's that was sort of a statement, but people are like fuck you, yeah. that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have committed a sin against culture. And so I, I've thought about that. I mean, Amanda and I talked about The Suitcase a lot. We did a podcast about it. I think if that wasn't going to be number one, it had to be number two. Um, that that felt like the biggest compromise there. But everything else I feel pretty good about. Uh, I, 
I don't really have one where I was like, I'll quit if this doesn't happen for me in this way. Yes, you did. Do I? You, true detective. You, tr- fought you for true detective. Did. Well, that was of actually, I'm did. glad you, you set me up yeah. as a segue. Now, in retrospect, yeah. I regret that <laughs> because I I agree that I still feel everything I feel for True Detective, and I and I think it's it's actually a very important episode. And Zach, I think are it, you getting this? I think it's I feel everything <laughs> I feel. I just hadn't watched Deadwood again in a while. Oh, oh boy! And I was like, oh shit, Deadwood is the best show of all time. Mm. One male fantasy for another. Yeah. Yeah. I put on my little I mean, cowboy hat. I feel like the, thing that, the thing that I was, you know, and I probably will hear about this from people, but the thing I was like, I will quit if we have, if the list is just top five, True Detective, Mad Men, The Wire, yes. Sopranos, Breaking Bad. Those are all incredible shows and incredible episodes of television. And if it was one, two, three, four, five. What's the point? That's so boring. It's, What's the point? You know, that's it, one type of watching television, and it's a valid and exceptional aspect of television. But I think the top yeah. ten still captures a certain thing. I think that the constant and the OC pilot, for me especially, are like there are different parts of your brain to activate. And mm-hmm. they both also very much captured a certain communal attitude that was around television in this sort of first decade of this of this century um this idea that we were kind of getting we were getting the best that this is this medium had ever been and we were we were the recipients of this like man they really figured out a bunch of stuff with tv and we're lucky enough to be alive to be like i can't hang out wednesday lost is on you know i can't hang out because oc is on tonight i'm just i've got to watch or why don't you guys all come over and watch The O.C. or watch Lost or watch The Sopranos or watch Breaking Bad? I mean, you know, you, when you and I moved out here, I think it was sort of we we would get together on Sunday nights and watch Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones or whatever. That we, was like our social life. I can remember watching The Reigns of Castamere with you and Juliet Littman and our wives. And Juliet Littman had read book three yeah. of the Game of Thrones series and we had not and did not know what was happening and it might be the last visceral TV ex- watching experience I've ever had because there was an audible gasp. There was the like, oh, an awkward kind of trauma in the room for what is usually like a pretty fun experience. <laughs> um, and that does feel we've lost that a little bit. I will say Succession has brought it back for me just 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 a touch I on agree. Sundays. It's true, but it, it is more fleeting now. Um, let's talk about some of the feedback we've received. Uh, what was the most interesting note you got? And what was the one that you were like, I'm sorry, but I disagree? Well, by the nature of this project, I disagree with everything. <laughs> um, because this was our list and we had a great time doing it. I I wouldn't say it was interesting. I did not expect the level of what about the shield. Yeah. I really, really didn't see that coming, which is why it's not on the list. Because I don't think any of us did. I've not seen The Shield, so I have no shame yeah. in saying that. I, I just haven't seen that show, and I re- certainly respect all the people who are a part of it. I know that a lot of people pointed out to me that that is um, in Alan Seppenwall's book about sort of the most important yes. shows that was written. Right. That was one of the eight that was included, and is it is identified as this benchmark in the prestige peak TV moment. Mm-hmm. I'm just not a fan, and not a single person on our staff submitted an episode of that show yeah. for this list. Right. And so there was really nothing we could do there. And there and there were lots of single nominees that then had such passionate, you know, momentum behind them that we had to kind of bow down and allow it to happen, you know. But that there was not a single vote for Shield, so it was sort of like, what are we going to do? Even today, Sean put out another call. Anyone? Did we miss anyone for the Shield and crickets? As far as I'm no aware, no one responded. Yeah. yeah, I put it on Slack this morning yeah. just to see if there was anybody who could say, as I would have said, like maybe you can write an ode to the Shield for Friday because yeah. 
people seem really upset that we didn't include it. And it's Mm -hmm. just one of those things. Maybe it's just space and time and we missed out. Or maybe it's saying something real about how overrated the shield is. (laughs) (laughs) Any other interesting feedback that you want to share, Amanda? Again, interesting is not the word I would use. I did notice a split on people. There are a lot of people who did not think that reality TV should be on this list. Mm, And I guess those people don't read The Ringer very often. Um, We all, it never occurred to us for a second that we wouldn't include reality TV. No, you just start to get into, then you're talking about what are the best episodes of drama in the 21st century, or what are the best episodes of scripted television. That's a boring list. Sean, what about you? What about some feedback that you've received that you thought was thought-provoking and or laughable? A lot of repping for Gossip Girl. And we we recently... you know, committed a day on the ringer to Gossip Girl. And I think because of that, a lot of people were like, what are you guys doing? And we did include a lot of shows that had the spirit of Gossip Girl, but not that show. Yeah, it was interesting. Allison Herman wrote a piece about, I thought a really great piece about recap culture and how that worked with the idea of the episode. And she did speak to Jessica Pressler, who is one half of the very famous uh, New York Magazine Daily Intel Gossip Girl recaps. Um, and I thought as we were editing that, editing, I was editing that piece, I thought, okay, well, we don't have... Gossip Girl on the list, but I could not remember a single episode of Gossip, a single episode of Gossip Girl. It was about moments, and Mm -hmm. it really was, frankly, about the response and the community to it and Jessica Pressler and Chris Rovezar's recaps as much as it was the actual show. So I really enjoyed Gossip Girl. I watched every episode. I I still feel okay. I feel similarly. I think there's inevitably going to be things that don't make the cut. We did make the case for a couple of things and me specifically at the end of the line that I think maybe we didn't originally have on it. For example, The Walking Dead, I felt pretty strongly that that show should have been on there, even though I think the identity of that show has changed a lot over the years. It started out as this like cool new version of adventure horror TV, and then it became massive, and then it became over-discussed, and then people were exhausted by it. But those first two seasons of The Walking Dead were both very good and really interesting and kind of changed the stakes and of TV. And they were zeitgeisty too because that was like the sort of big, be- really the crest of the dystopian culture and, you know, how we were all thinking about things in those terms. And Very those much. Hunger Games mm-hmm. and everything else was around. At that. I think the other thing that the list underlined is how intensely f- people feel about certain kinds of shows that, like, I don't care about. Um, I think The Leftovers is, like, mostly bad. And we put uh, International Assassin at number 45, which I think was a, a creative idea for an episode of television. But I, I just don't I don't care about it at all. Like I don't I don't think it's interesting at all. But I did hear from a lot of people who felt like that was a real injustice. Yeah. That was kind of surprising because I never think about the leftovers. Well, there's a strange thing where it's like if you include it but rate it don't rate it properly or don't rate it mm-hmm. high enough in people's minds that it's almost worse than being not yes. included at all. Yeah. I thought that that was the case also for Twin Peaks. I can't remember where that came 68, in. 68, I wrote 68, about it. 68, and that was like, you know, last year was considered the cinematic high watermark of television. And yet, you know, is it worse or better than the 30 things that came after it and the 58 things or 50, you know, 67 things that came after it? That's that's the sort of fun of the debate part about it. Yes. It's just that you can't even call what the twin what that Twin Peaks episode and a, a How I Met Your Mother episode about Thanksgiving. It's like it's what's the best part about TV is that they're both TV and that's the kind of only thing that unites them. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about things that you wish were on there, if there are anything. I mean, we had we we had so many debates over this that I almost forgot what I thought, and it just became about wrangling over the list itself. But was there anything that you remember 
from your early votes or just even in looking back over the list now that you're like, man, I wish we had this on there, just personally? Well, everything I submitted was on it, Uh but um, (laughs) my impact. No, I I will say this. I didn't—everyone knows that I'm a huge fan of The Crown, and I was being a good, responsible citizen, and I did not put The Crown on my original list, and I just kind of incepted everyone else, and then I think towards the end, Sean— suggested that we put the crown on it? I have not seen the crown. Uh, The reason that I did that, I think, is because I had at least three, maybe four people on my podcast tell me, filmmakers tell me, that that's the best show that's been made in the last five years. Mm -hmm. And they're completely blown away by it. And so maybe I was just bullied by the spirit of Amanda and these directors and insisting upon the list. It was all in your head. But I felt, I think I would have been sad if the crown were not on it because it's quite good. Yeah. I think there's a couple of shows that, recently were very good and we didn't even really have a conversation about. I think The Good Place is a show we didn't really talk about, which I think is very good. Barry is very good. Killing Eve is very good. These are shows that are like yeah, kind of in the realm of contention among, you know, the list in like 70 to 100. I think you could make the case for a bunch of those. I don't know. What about you? What's what's missing for you that you— <laughs> I similarly—I I think that it's strange not to have Stranger Things on there just because of its uh, popularity. Um, there is actually— a couple of episodes of Narcos that I'm very, I'm very big <laughs> on, but I don't think I could have really, in good conscience, convinced anyone to do it. But I think that if I had tried harder, I think Holly Jolly, the the Christmas episode or sort of the Christmas episode of Stranger Things that I had talked about in my piece, you could make an argument for it. I rewatched it to sort of see whether I was right that it was a great moment or a great episode, and it is a great moment. It's a pretty pretty awesome episode and it's very representative of the show but everybody had their own algebra for why they included things and in some cases I think it was just about like whether or not you felt so strongly about something that you would start like basically campaigning for something I'll give you one that, that occurs to me as you're talking about Stranger Things I watched so much Conan O'Brien from 2000 to 2010 and I loved Conan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Conan O'Brien was influential on my point of view of the world, the things that I liked. And I watched him a lot in the 90s too, but I thought he was making a really good show from like 2000 to 2006. And we forget about that now because he has been sort of cordoned off into TBS 30-minute zone. And right. he got sort of publicly embarrassed by Jay Leno and the way that The Tonight Show played out. And Jimmy Fallon now holds so much weight in the in the late-night mind. But I probably would have fought a little harder for for Conan. Yeah. I loved Conan. Anything for you? I guess not, right? Because you had all that stuff. I was just, as we were talking about it, the Gossip Girl pilot was pretty good, I think. One thing that was interesting doing this, um, I realized how bad my memory is for television after, I would say, about 2010, (laughs) which makes sense, right? Because there's so much of it now, and we're just constantly trying to keep up, especially if you're trying to cover television on a regular basis. So, especially when you're talking about... Remembering an episode is remembering a whole hour as opposed to the one scene. And um, I, especially recent stuff, I don't have a le- lot of recall on mm-hmm. that. I'm sure there, there are a lot of things that I've really enjoyed in the last couple of years. You know, as I was scrolling through this morning, I was like, should we have Succession on here? I mm. think there are some yeah. tremendous episodes of that show. But at some point, the more recent things just kind of do get lost in the fog of my aging brain. I think if I learned one lesson from this, it's that— um, Years are very arbitrary ways to look at television. 
and that to look say, at anything. Oh, well, yeah. just to say, oh, that's the best of the year, and now we're almost going to forget this in the mm-hmm. dustbin of history. To go back and look at this as almost a huge, you know, era rather than oh, you know, like we're just going to say that this was the best show in two thousand and eight, and this was the best show in two thousand and nine, and to look back at say even the shows that have maybe been on since we started this website, I think that the list would be a lot more interesting. If you were like only shows that have aired since 2016 or whatever, but but you know you you know it could be the entire time period. I think that that list would actually be pretty good. Mm-hmm. But every year at the end of the year, I'm like, nah, it was a pretty good year for TV, I guess. But it wasn't as good as 2011. You know? Can I throw a couple of stragglers that didn't make the list at you guys and just see if you have any regrets? Yeah, sure. sure. I wouldn't necessarily advocate for these, but um, I heard from a lot of people about Hannibal. Mm. I, I, yeah. For me. Okay, so no worries there. Um, what about Sons of Anarchy? <laughs> wow, I can just feel Shay yeah. from across the lot. I, I get it. It was not a show that I watched or really felt a connection to. A lot of people did, though. The only episode that I can think of for Sons of Anarchy that would make the list, I'm not going to say just because I would spoil the entire series if I said what happened in it, so... But, I understand. But there was one that jumps out at yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. What about the show Supernatural? Are you guys familiar with that Never show? Never seen it. No. There's a, there's a whole class of CW show that we more or less ignored. Yes. And that includes the high-toned, well-beloved, crazy ex-girlfriend Jane the Virgin show, the, that middle-class popular Gossip Girl show, and then that Supernatural, Roswell, Vampire Diaries. There's not a lot of enthusiasm for those shows on our staff. Big Roswell fan. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Where, where <laughs> were you in the debates? Okay, uh... <laughs> One more. Yes. Actually, two more. Okay. I'll send a personal um, shout out to Veronica Mars. I think we fucked yes, that up. And I apologize oh, to my yeah. wife. That's a great and point. Sorry to Kristen Bell. We did put Party Down on, which is Rob Thomas's show after Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars is really good. And it was consistently good. Yeah. So that's one. And the other one is The Newsroom. Oh, boy. Which is a show that I like. Wow. Yeah, if there was ever going to be three people in our room who could talk about The Newsroom, it's us three. I can't believe we didn't rep for Operation Genoa. How many? repeat showrunners are there on the list or writers you know because that would have been two Sorkins wow I don't think there are any I don't, I don't either there's a, there's a few actors who had multiple sh- appearances in multiple shows right. Timothy Oliphant being the, the, the number one I, I think, feel great about that I think Tina Fey with Saturday Night Live and mm-hmm. 30 Rock is one I think Damon Lindelof with The Leftovers and Lost, and yeah. Lost. Uh, I think Matthew Weiner as a writer on The Sopranos and the creator of Mad Men. There is some connectivity. Sure. Right. But Lindelof might be the only one who has the creator credit on both shows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. Any other final notes on the on the list itself? Love to make content. <laughs> I just I just as a public shout out to everybody who worked very hard on this package. It was a real across the board effort for everybody. Editors, writers, creative designers, podcasters, podcast producers, engineers, video editors. It was really like one of the best all-hands things that we've done. So thanks for consuming it. Thank you so much for reading and listening and watching. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) 
Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Sharp Objects from the author of Gone Girl, the producer of Get Out, and the director of Big Little Lies comes HBO's limited series Sharp Objects. Amy Adams stars as a troubled reporter who returns to her hometown to investigate the murders of two young girls hailed as a spellbinding, addictive immersion into a dark, small-town mystery by IndieWire. Sharp Objects airs Sundays at 9 p.m., and you can catch up now on HBO Now.